Let us reason together, though our sins be like scarlet, they shall become like wool. What a beautiful thought this morning, that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins, which are many, are covered, cast as far as the east is from the west, so that we might have a relationship with the Father, and that we might have eternal life through Christ. So this morning, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, we will, as is customary here, take a few moments to read a verse of Scripture, and then in quiet meditation and prayer, ask God to search our hearts, uh, forgive us of our shortcomings and our sins, and prepare us to receive His Word today. So I'm going to read to us from Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. And then we'll take a few moments and seek the Lord's face. Psalm 66, verse 16 begins, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Lord, we rejoice today in your steadfast love that you allow us to come into your presence, and that we can offer sacrifices of praise to you. Lord, we pray that uh, you would cleanse us of sin, that uh, you would increase and we would decrease as your word is proclaimed, that your spirit would move among us and accomplish your purpose in and through us. We thank you again for giving us a place to gather and worship, and we thank you for redeeming us so that we might be called uh, children of God today. Lord, thank you. Uh, and we praise you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today I invite you to turn once again to First Peter as we continue our series there. We are going to look at uh, a pretty decent-sized section of Scripture today from the second chapter of First Peter. The title of my message today is Living as God's People. Living as God's People. So this message presupposes that you are one of God's people. Uh, if you have not yet repented of your sins and placed saving faith in Christ, then I would encourage you to seek the Lord today while He may be found and uh, call upon Him as Savior so that then you can begin the process of living as one of His people. So often we want to put the cart before the horse and try to live a righteous life to clean up our act and then God will receive us once we've straightened ourselves out and that is exactly the opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is that we can do nothing to redeem ourselves, that we are hopelessly lost, and that Christ uh, intervened and interceded for us so that we might live victoriously and righteously through His life and His sacrifice, not our own. And so today we're going to look as God's people uh, how to live uh, a life that is pleasing to Him. So I will invite you one final time, if you're able, to stand together with me as we read God's Word. Uh, we will look at verses 4 through 12 from 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 through 12, 1 Peter 2. The Bible says, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and now we ask that it would accomplish its purpose here today in K. Russo Baptist Church and those watching online. Again, we praise you and thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. A few years ago, there was a story of a pretty tragic situation that was taking place in eastern Connecticut. About 35 to 40,000 homes were literally crumbling. The problem was the foundations of these homes were all put together and built from concrete that came and was mixed from one quarry that had a chemical in it that caused the composition to break down in a short time. And unfortunately for many of these homeowners, insurance would not cover any of it. It was so bad to the point that FEMA was being considered to be called in because of these faulty foundations. And so when we think about the importance of a home and a structure to be solid that we build upon, we're going to see that same type of imagery today in our text about having a firm foundation, the only foundation that can stand, which is Christ. And so when we look at our text, immediately in verse 4, we are struck with language that is going to take us back, in a sense, to the Old Testament. And so some familiarity there will help us as we try to unpack what Peter is telling us, what he's telling his audience about us as believers and the imagery of the temple and the cornerstone and the foundation and things of that nature. So he says, as we come to Him, obviously the Him is Christ, He is the living stone. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone of our lives. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If we don't start there, nothing that we build will stand. 
We must start with Christ as the foundation. We must know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior before we ever attempt to do anything for the kingdom of God. That is the foundation. And the Bible tells us in our text that He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, He was chosen and precious. Think about what John writes in his opening chapter of the gospel attributed to his name. In John 1, verses 11 through 13, we find these words. He, Christ, came to his own, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power, the privilege, to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Such powerful verses that tell us that while He did come to His own and was ultimately rejected by him, by them, the door was then swung open to the Gentiles that we, as non-Jews, now have access to God through Christ as well. I want you to notice something in verse 4 that's very important. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Our text is telling us, as the Old Testament Scriptures that we will look at will tell us, that Christ was the chosen one. That Christ is God's chosen one. Christ is God's elect. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Obviously speaking of Christ. In Luke 9.35, listen to what the voice says coming out of the cloud. It says, This is my son. What else does it say? My chosen one. Listen to him. We often talk about that language, chosen or elect. We think about what that means. But we need to not lose sight of the fact that Christ is the elect of God. He is the chosen one of God. Why does that matter? Why is that so important? Because Christ is the foundation. He is the starting point. And so often we start with us and work back to Christ when we need to start with Christ and then move forward to His people, His church, and beyond. Why does it matter? Because our election is tied directly to our relationship with Christ. The only reason that anyone can be called elect is because they are in Christ. It is the identification with Him that causes us to be elect. When we think about the language in the Scriptures, the church is called by different names. The church is the bride of Christ. We are His bride because He is the groom. It is the identification there that causes us to be united. We are called the body of Christ. 
but we are only part of the body because he is the head of the church. And we see in the text today that he is a living stone and by our relationship and identification with him in the next verse, we also are living stones. He is the foundation we build upon that foundation as living stones. I want you to understand that it is the connection with Christ and that alone that enables us to have any rights, privileges, and promises in the kingdom of God. We need to remember that and we need to understand what that means because I believe a lot of confusion about those different doctrines such as election and predestination don't start with Christ as being the elect one and we in turn being seen as elect because of our identification with Him. When you read passages like Ephesians 1, which is a classic text used to explain that doctrine, you will notice that in all of the promises, I believe 13 of them in those verses, those opening verses, every single time it is, it is led into with the words, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. It is because we are in Him that we are found to be elect. And it is because when we read the verses like we did in John 1.11, He came to His own, His own didn't receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the power, the right, the privilege to become children of God. Just something to think about this morning as we go a little deeper into this text. When we look at another scripture that the Apostle Paul writes, Romans 6, 8, Paul says there, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Question, how long ago did Jesus die? Roughly. How did we die with Christ? Is anybody here that old? I don't, I don't want to guess ages. I don't think anybody in here is going to, going to be that old. How did we die with Christ then? Because we are identified with Him by faith. When we repent and believe, we are partakers in His death and in His resurrection. We are joined with Him. We are united with Him. And again, that is exactly what the language in our text today is describing. Because Christ is the chosen one, we in turn get to experience the benefits of being elect in the Son. And so, when we look at another text like John 14, 6, which we know very well, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, we understand what He's saying. It's clear. The world doesn't like that kind of exclusive language that says there is only one way, there is only one door, there is only a narrow path that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. They want to have a multiplicity of gods. They want to have multiple choices to get to heaven. They want to rely on their good works if they trust that there is a God in an afterlife at all. And yet the Scriptures declare Christ makes the bold claim that He is not simply a way, He is the way. And that statement will get you in a lot of hot water. It will alienate you from a lot of family and friends. But it is a statement that you must conclude and come to the conviction that you stand on that and believe that with all your heart. Because there is no other Savior. 
We sang about the cross and the blood. And if we really believe that Jesus did that, then there is no other sacrifice that has been made that is sufficient and there is no other sacrifice made that is necessary. And that is why it's so important. I love that when Jesus presents the opportunity for sinners to come, He invites the multitudes, the masses to come. I think about uh, when He is preaching in the Gospel of Matthew and He says, Come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think about our life today, a world we live in. Is, I think everybody's weary and heavy laden to some degree, aren't we? And I'm sure it was the same way in those times. When, when you extend an invitation like that, you're not excluding anyone. We can all say that there are times in our lives where we are weary and heavily burdened. And Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Not just physical rest, but the spiritual rest that you need for your soul. And so Peter is painting a picture for us that we are living stones because we are connected to the foundation, the cornerstone, that being Christ. And he goes on in verse 5 to explain that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house or a temple. So we think about in the Old Testament, and we think about the fact that uh, over and over we've been looking at in First Peter the fact of God's holiness and how we are to live holy. Here's another question for you. What was the most holy place for the Jew? The temple. And the holiest of holies being in, within the temple, the most holy place. And so now we're shifting gears from a physical temple to a spiritual temple. And in a few short years after the time of this writing, the physical temple would be no more. The physical temple to this day is no more. That the sacrificial system was ended in AD 70 when Rome and Emperor Titus marched in and utterly left not one stone upon another. The fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ coming to fruition and the end of the sacrificial system stopping to this day when that event happened. And so Peter is foreshadowing with this language that we now as believers are the temple of God. That the Spirit of God dwells within us. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul spends some time talking about this very thing. And I want you to think about what he says in Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 21. He says that you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking here to the Gentiles, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now listen to what he says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So again, we're seeing starts with the foundation and building from the apostles and onward even to today, us as believers in whom, or in Him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Think about the imagery. No longer is it a building, no longer is it about a building where God dwells and a holy place where only the high priest can go in once a year to offer a sacrifice. All of that changed 
when Christ gave his life for our sins. There was a story told of a, a Spartan king, a king in Sparta, and there was a visiting monarch, and this Spartan king was boasting about the great walls that were in Sparta. And the monarch arrived and looked around, and he didn't see a wall anywhere. And he looked at the king and said, Where are these great walls that you boast about so much? And the Spartan king pointed back behind him at the army that was standing behind him, the troops. And he said, These are the walls of Sparta, every man a brick. And the writer goes on in this story to say, So long as a brick lies by itself, it is useless It becomes of use only when it is incorporated into a building. So it is with the individual Christian. To realize his destiny, he must not remain alone, but must be built into the fabric of the church. We are built up, Paul says, together. We are joined together and growing into a holy temple to the Lord. It it saddens me to hear so many today make statements like, I don't believe in organized religion. I don't need to go to church to worship God. You, my friend, are rejecting the very foundation, if you will, that Christ designed. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know scriptures like not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it's a sad testimony to American Christianity that we find so many excuses and so many other preoccupations to keep us from gathering together as God's people, from serving together as God's people, for encouraging one another as God's people. The church is to be a place where we worship corporately, where we observe as we will today, communion together, we pray together, we fellowship together, and we disperse to go into the world to make disciples. And yet so many reject the coming together anymore. It's a sad thing, it really is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6-9 that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And each of us, as we saw in that little story, is a living stone that is building up this temple if you will to god and so the physical temple has been replaced with a people a gathering of people we're thankful for a building for a beautiful building and land and a place to gather and worship but the temple is us the holy spirit resides in us it's a it's a sad testimony to some of the modern songs that are sung today that we we here try to avoid some of those but, you know, we, we, we hear some songs talk about, Holy Spirit, we, we invite you into our presence and, and we, we desire you to be with us. I hope that you as a believer brought him with you. I hope that you didn't leave him at home and now you're inviting him to come along. He's with you wherever you go as a believer. We don't invite him into our presence. He is here. And as the third member of the Godhead, he is the Lord, uh, the ruler of his people and he controls us and we should submit to him willingly and joyfully so we think about the temple uh and i want you to look at the language that peter uses now as we start to think about how do we live this out practically he says you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house and then look what he says to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ 
Not only then, going back to the Old Testament language, not only has the physical temple been replaced with a spiritual temple where we are uh, the ones that house the Spirit of God within us, but we are the priests that minister within that temple, so to speak. And so what does that look like? How, how do we make application? What is Peter telling us here? What is he trying to say? Well, notice again that we see that word that we've mentioned so many times in the, in the past weeks. We are to be a holy priesthood. There is no other. We are set apart. We are to reverence and, awe, and be in awe, as we sung in the song today, of God because of who He is. We approach Him as His children, but we approach Him in such a way as to understand that He is the sovereign King and we are His subjects. And so often today, people approach God as though He is beholden to us and we come uh, demanding that He do our will and fulfill our purposes when that is totally opposite of how we ought to approach Him. So we come as holy priests to offer spiritual sacrifices. God does not demand or command any longer that we bring a lamb without spot or blemish because He provided the final lamb without spot or blemish, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So we no longer have to bring a physical offering. That was another end that took place in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. The sacrificial system was completely obliterated and abolished at that point. It was no longer necessary or needed. But what kind of spiritual sacrifices should we bring? Well, perhaps the verse that most of us know and would immediately have our minds brought to is Romans 12.1. Right? I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritual service. So we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? How do we do that? A sacrifice is completely submissive. It has offered itself or it is being offered to the host. So to live in such a way that we present our bodies as a sacrifice means to be in complete submission to the will and plan of God. It means to walk in obedience to His commands. It means to follow the Spirit and not the flesh. Do we strive to live that life? We talk so much about the holiness that we are commanded to live in. That is how we sacrifice ourselves, if you will, to God every day, is to submit our lives constantly. Peter talked about, uh, in verse 4, you notice the language, as you come to Him, it's an ongoing, continual thing. We are constantly coming to Him, and we need to approach Him in the right manner, with respect, with fear, with awe, and with submission to Him. So that is one way that we offer as priests of this temple spiritual sacrifices. What's another? Hebrews 13, 15. It says there, Through Him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. A lot of times... The only thing that you hear coming off of the lips of believers is complaining and criticism and negativity. And those sacrifices are not acceptable to God. He's not pleased with those things. What He is pleased with is a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. 
We looked at, at the end of the verse last week, uh, it said there, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've had a week to marinate on that. I don't know if you gave it any thought. But I'll ask it again. Has God been awful good to you? Has God been awful good to you? I'm not saying has everything in your life always been good. Has everything always fell into place and just as you thought it ought to be and it's been a, a, a walk in the park and, you know, every day you get to eat cake and, and it's just great. We all know that life doesn't work out that way. And unfortunately, there are some that sell a gospel that says if you accept Christ that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, uh, and that uh, everything's going to go good for you. And when that doesn't happen, people are despondent and rejected and mad at God that He didn't keep His end of the bargain when that was never part of the bargain to begin with. When you come to Christ, you get Christ. And that should be enough. Anything else is icing on the cake. But God has been good to us. God has been good to us, and we ought to praise Him more than we do. There was an, I've, said, I've used this quote many times, there was an old evangelist in independent fundamental circles named Mays Jackson. Mays Jackson was an evangelist, used to travel around, all around the country. But he always used to say, we've got more to shout about than we do to pout about. And that's the truth. But you wouldn't know it talking to some believers. Uh, we used to sing an old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. We can all make a list of things that aren't good in our lives and have been troubles and concerns. But if we sat down and wrote a list of our blessings, I bet I can tell you which one would be longer. The blessings. The blessings. Always the bad seems to get magnified, but in fact, God's been good. And we ought to praise Him for that. That's part of our duty as priests in this temple, this spiritual temple, is to offer praise for who He is and what He's done for us. Warren Wiersbe said, We don't go to church to praise God. We bring our praise with us. The worship service isn't an interruption of our praise. It's a continuation and augmentation of our praise. As we join hearts and voices with other believers. I encourage you, even if you don't think you're a good singer, even if you don't necessarily like some of the songs that we sing, when we gather in here together, it's a beautiful thing for us to hear one another, and it's a beautiful thing in the sight of God to lift up our voices. It is. Uh, I know that... uh, you know, there are varying opinions on not using the old hymnals and things like that anymore and that some of the modern music, and I agree with this, isn't written in a way to sing congregationally, uh, that some of the songs are, in fact, worship songs in the sense that they are to be uh, entertainment. They never were meant to sing corporately, but, you know, we want to try to strive to sing songs that glorify Christ, that are biblically sound, and like I said, some may not be your cup of tea but I hope that when you come in here, it's not about you. It is about offering that sacrifice of praise and, and you sing at the top of your lungs, even if you don't think it sounds good. Because it sounds good to God. Make a joyful noise and He will be pleased if it's from the heart that is set to worship Him. So the final, the final one that I'll give you, uh, spiritual sacrifice, comes from Philippians 4.18. Uh, this is, again, the Apostle Paul writing. And he says, I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When you love God's people and you provide for their needs, God is very pleased with that. We, as God's people, need one another. Again, why is the church so important? Because we all come into seasons of life 
where we just can't do this thing alone. And I'm sure glad to have brothers and sisters in Christ that I can lean on in those moments. I can't tell you how many times in my life and in the life of my family that we have leaned on our church and been edified and encouraged by your love and support. And I hope that you can say the same of us. Because that's what church should be about. It should be about the worship of Christ, to love Him with our, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And we can't love one another if we don't know one another, and we can't know one another if we don't take the time to invest in one another. We need to, uh, the Bible says, if a man wants to have friends, he needs to show himself friendly. And I think it is the church's job to do things like Vincent and Lisa have been trying really hard to get greeters. And when you hit the door, we want smiling faces to give you a bulletin and shake your hand if you're comfortable with that. Or bump your elbow or chest bump or whatever we do nowadays. I don't know what's, what's uh, allowable and what's not. But uh, we want you to know that you're welcome here and we love you. But that relationship has to extend both ways. Uh, I've seen folks... You know, it's, I've, I've heard folks over the years, I've experienced it as a pastor, where they'll say, you know, well, the church, the church just isn't real friendly to me. But that same person will go and, and walk in and immediately get their seat in the corner and never look up from the ground, never smile, never speak. And, and you know, at some point, you have got to make a little effort too, right? And God is pleased when we know one another, we care for one another, we love one another, and we meet one another's needs. Just like Paul said here, you sent, a, sent gifts to me through Epaphroditus, and that was a fragrant offering. God was pleased that you recognized the needs that I had and you took care of them. Uh, I'm so thankful for, for Miss Rosie back there who anytime someone's sick, she's always the first thing she asks is, do we need to get some food together? Do we need any, is there anything we can do to help them? And she's not the only one. I know many of you do those things. Many of you go ahead and do those things without being asked and you don't get any recognition and uh, you don't ask for that. And so I, I know those things happen and I'm thankful for a church that is willing to do that. It's important and it's pleasing to God as we as priests in this temple offer these spiritual sacrifices. But notice in verse 5 that whatever we do, it has to be done through Jesus Christ. If we do it in the flesh, if it's not done in the power of the Spirit, it means nothing. Uh, Romans 11.36 says that for, him, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so we see that everything that we do should be done through the Lord Jesus. And then in our text today, uh, we read a couple of Old Testament quotations, verses 6, 7, and 8. Uh, Peter quotes from Isaiah and the Psalms. Again, driving home the point that Christ is the cornerstone and that uh, He has been rejected by some. But here's what I want to close with and here's what I want you to see. This is magnificent and I hope it, it thrills your heart today. We touched on a little bit of this in Sunday school, but I want to drive it home with this verse. We, we know this verse somewhat well too, I believe, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Remember, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Remember that when we started this series, I told you that Peter is writing to primarily Gentiles, even though he was the apostle to the Jews. In this letter, according to the nations and the scattering of the exiles, this was a largely Gentile audience that Peter is writing to. 
That is astounding when you think about that and what I just read. Gentiles is who he's largely speaking to. And then look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What is Peter saying there? Again, we're going back to the Old Testament and we're going back to the imagery and the things that are said. Deuteronomy 14.2. Listen to what is said there. For you are a people. Now who is he speaking to in that text? The Jews. You are a people holy, set apart, distinct, set in the world. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God made a sovereign choice of all the different people groups that he, to be His people. He made that choice. In Romans 9, verse 25, Paul is quoting from the book of Hosea. I won't go into all the details of that story. I hope you're a little familiar with it. If you're not, get familiar with that book. It's amazing. But Romans 9.25 says this, As indeed it, he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, this is building on the imagery of the children's names. Again, I won't go into all the details, but their names have meanings. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. Amazing when we think about the fact that the Jewish people were God's chosen race, and yet in verse 9 of our text today, He's speaking to us. He's speaking to Gentiles. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Friends, God didn't owe us anything. We didn't deserve any of this. He could have came unto His own and His own rejected Him and He said, I'm done with this mess. I have done everything necessary and you want to continue in your sin to the destruction of your soul, have at it. But from eternity past, He had a plan. We see it mentioned in the early pages of the book of Genesis and all throughout the Scriptures that God had a plan to send a Savior to redeem those that were lost. And He fulfilled that plan. And aren't you glad that when He came into His own and His own received Him not, that that door swung open to us? That we who were not a people became a people? That God would choose to engraft us, if you will, into the spiritual Israel? In, in Romans, Paul talks a lot about uh, not just the, the ethnic Israel, but there is a spiritual Israel. And we are grafted into that vine. The Gentiles are made part of that spiritual Israel. What an amazing thing. I don't know that we fully can understand the force of that uh, not being from that culture and time. But it is an amazing truth that God would offer the opportunity for us to become His people. That alone is amazing to me. And so we conclude our text today. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We said that God is good. 
And He is good because He is merciful. God is merciful. Mercy means that we don't get what we deserved. Grace is we get, we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is that we don't get what we deserved. Right? What did we deserve? Hell. That's what we deserved. And we don't get that because of God's mercy towards us. But I want you to hear again from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. Same kind of language as what we just read in verse 10. Listen to Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 14. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. What is he saying? What does that mean? He's saying that the circumcision were the Gentiles, the circumcised were the Jews, and the Jews looked down on the Gentile. Why? Because the Jew, ethnically speaking, was God's chosen people. They held uh, themselves in high esteem because of their ethnicity, right? We have Abraham for our father, was the cry of the Jew. When Jesus said, you know, that he was the one, the Messiah. We have Abraham. We were never enslaved, enslaved, right? They hung on the fact that they were God's chosen people based on uh, who they were ethnically. So, Remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Listen to what he says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is every one of our stories before we came to Jesus. At one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, spiritual Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, here's that language again, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ, identification by faith you are placed in Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Look around this room for a minute. I had a conversation with someone this week over lunch that even in a church, a small church like us, there's a diverse group of people. There is. Maybe, maybe not by race so much, but by background, definitely. There are people in this room that have all different sorts of backgrounds, history, and stories about their lives. Now, here's the amazing thing. There are folks in this room that... If we were to just be out on the street and not know each other, we wouldn't gravitate towards one another. Just not, there's just certain people that we gravitate towards that have common interests, that have common things that they do, common places they hang out, and that's usually the crowd that you find yourself around. You birds of a feather flock together, right? But the amazing thing is that God takes a diverse group of people, places them in local bodies, local churches, and expects them then to get to love and know one another and serve together. And that is what a healthy church will do. So here is what I say. You look around the room and you see faces that you know. And that's all you know. A face. What are we going to do about that? I know what we can do about it, but you have to answer that question. So I'm going to challenge you to think about that question a lot in the next coming weeks 
and say, what can I do to move beyond just being a face in the crowd, but to being part of this community that God has put together and that He desires for me to sacrifice myself with and love and serve with? How can I make that happen? I'm going to invite the praise team to come, and I'm going to look at this last verse, last two verses. And basically, he is telling us with some practical application, uh, don't, uh, since we're sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. What's he saying? Again, we're a holy people. We're set apart. You ought to live different. You ought to act differently. You ought to show fear towards God. You ought to bear fruit. And he says in the last verse, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. He's using the word Gentile there to refer to unbelievers because he's writing to Gentiles. Uh, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our lives are here. Our purpose here is to glorify God. We as believers are here to glorify Him together and individually. So again, I ask you, how can we, when we are collected here corporately, how can we glorify God? By showing love to one another, by serving, by worshiping, by offering sacrifices of praise. Those are ways that we glorify God. Someone wrote this little poem, and I'll close with it. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do, by the things that you say. Others read that gospel, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Father, we thank you this morning that you give us an opportunity to be your people. And I pray that we live up to that high calling in Christ. So Lord, as we give this invitation, my prayer is that we would desire to know you deeper and to know one another deeper. That we would forge relationships, that we would go out of our way to make sure that we are a people that are in harmony with one another and seeking to glorify you in everything that we do. And Lord, today we pray for the one that might be watching or here that is lost, that recognizes that they are not part of the kingdom of God, that they are not one of the children of God, but they can be by faith. My prayer is that they would come today surrendering their life and calling upon you as Lord and Savior so that they can be a part of not just the kingdom of God, but the local church as well. We love you, Lord, and we thank you again for this opportunity to serve you and to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing.